0: Hello and welcome to Universal Voices Podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to sharing the depth of wisdom, faith, and goodness found in the Universal Catholic Church. I'm your host, Alisa Molina. Let's jump in. Today I am so excited for Nate to be here. I first reached out to Nate because I have been so encouraged by his work on Black Catholic Messenger. Uh, He he co-founded this news and media nonprofit that Uh, covers the interests of America's black Catholics. If you haven't yet become a subscriber, I highly recommend it. Um, I'll be linking it in the show notes so that anybody who listens can become uh, a subscriber to this. Uh, And I get, I mean, I get stuff daily uh, that that is just really, really good. So Nate, welcome. I am thrilled to have you join us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Um, tell me how, like, what's, what's your last name? I should have introduced you with your last name, but I was afraid that I wasn't going to uh, introduce you. Right. So what's, what's your full name?
1: My full name. Well, <laughs> I go by Nate Turner Williams. I'll say that's my pen name.
0: Okay. So why do you say that? Like, you, that's because,
1: because Williams is, I guess this pertains a little bit to our topic, Williams is actually the last name of my paternal grandfather, which in most, uh, with most people, that would be their last name as well, because they received their last name from their father. However, in my case, I do not have the last name of my paternal grandfather. Tenor is actually my last name legally. Um, but in recent years, I've started to use Williams because I don't want to forget my family's history. And I feel like it should be a part of it is a part of who I am.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. I love. I. Oh, I love that. Okay. We're gonna dig way, way deep into that here in a minute. But I'm gonna start us off with the three questions that uh, I ask of all all the guests that uh, that come on. Uh, so the first the first one is, what is one thing that makes you you? Uh,
1: well, my blackness and my love for media I guess that's two things isn't it Yeah. (laughs) so yeah my love for black media let's say that
0: (laughs) yeah 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 so has that always like when would you say that became like something that you that made you you like when did that that did you realize that that was like kind of an integral part of like who who you are
1: well growing up I well, I always knew I was Black, and I always knew that I had a curiosity for the stories of other people. Uh, I think when I was younger, that came off as nosiness, but even <laughs> then, my parents, were const- they were constructive about it and said, oh, you know, you might grow up to be a journalist. And by the time I was in high school, I was like, yeah, I think, I think I just might be a journalist. And my first experience with Black media specifically was also growing up in my hometown. We had a Black newspaper called Our Times, in Evansville, Indiana. And yeah, it's, it's been a fascination of mine ever since.
0: Wow. So can you tell us a little bit, like, so what is your background? Do you have any background when it comes to specifically like education wise or anything like that, that, that is journalism or? Yes.
1: Yeah, so there's some background there. Uh, I was, I started out as a student journalist in high school, um, not to toot my own horn, I was an award-winning student journalist in high school. (laughs) Yes,
0: toot your horn. That's what you're And
1: Absolutely. Yes. And I went on to study journalism temporarily at Pepperdine University in Los Angeles. That was my first major. And I ended up switching over to uh, religion, which was actually Christian theology. But um, yeah, my first year and a half of college, I studied journalism as well.
0: Wow. Okay. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Um, second question. What is one gift you bring to the Catholic Church?
1: Now there I would say it's my Blackness. And uh, I'm thinking there of Servant of God, Thea Bowman, who so eloqu- eloquently described that experience of being a Black Catholic and bringing our Blackness to the, the Church as fully functioning Black Catholics, not having to hold anything back and being able to be who we truly are with our culture and our expression and knowing that God accepts this and asks, asks this of us.
0: Yeah, and I would, I mean, I would just, gosh, I would just say that I receive what you just said and I really feel as so much of your work has impacted just me in general, just like the way that I see, um, the way that I'm able to know things that I would have never known, um, read and, and current things, you know, uh, things of the past, but also really current things. I think, yeah, it is 100% a gift to the church, what you are pouring in, in our modern times. So, um, okay. So then what is one gift the church gives to you?
1: I would say the church gives me stability. Uh, I am a convert to the Catholic faith. I've only been Catholic for less than three years, um, and it's as having been a Protestant before. There was kind of a a, a do it yourself aspect to my experience of it, and. When I was when I became Catholic, and when I you know first felt that I should become Catholic, it was like, man, I don't have to figure this stuff out for myself. There's this whole uh, repository of of history and and thought and wisdom and saints and all of these resources that we have that we don't have to figure it out. And I was so grateful to have that gift from the church to say, you know, relax. The The traditions of the church are for your benefit. It's not something you have to wrestle with as though, you know, you need to find out for yourself whether or not it's true. It's the church is the church that Jesus has given us. And I'm so glad to be fully initiated in it.
0: You know, that is really, man, that's really beautifully said. I was this last Wednesday, I gave a talk on Catholic social doctrine at, my alma mater at the Catholic center there. And that was actually one of the things that I said was just, um, I've been pretty active in kind of ecumenical spaces when it comes to kind of social concerns. And one of the things that I have really come to appreciate is that the church does have this, uh, this place where we can go and find answers that are, are already there. Like we have a place to point to and it is really comforting not to, like you said, kind of figure it out as you, as you move along. Um, absolutely. I didn't know that you are a convert one and two. I didn't know that you're a recent convert. So, um, before we get to the topic of, of what you have a heart for, can you talk a little bit about um, what it's like to, to have jumped into this um, media space so soon after converting to Catholicism? Like, do you feel like that's something that is, um, did you like see like the need in the landscape as soon as you converted, and then just jumped or how did that, how did that happen?
1: It was, it was pretty soon after I decided to convert, yeah. Um, I figured God didn't have me convert for no reason. He probably w- wanted me to do things. And so um, as I was learning about um, Catholic history and Black Catholic history specifically, I, I learned of Daniel Rudd, who was a very notable Black journalist in his day in the late 19th and early 20th century. And he founded the first... Black Catholic newspaper um, in the late um, 1800s. And so it was fascinating to me to think that, you know, then when I was reading this in 2019, nothing like that existed anymore. And I was like, how could this have been 125 years ago and we don't have it now? Um, So that was specifically why I got into Catholic media, because I felt like I could see that you know, Black forces were not so much represented. Not that they were none, but we didn't have our own publication. And yeah, I, it didn't sound right to me. And so I asked around and said, well, is there anything? And if there's not, does anybody want to get something started? And some people did. And so that's that's how Black Catholic Messenger came to be.
0: That is so incredible. And um, because, you, because you mentioned... Um... Because you mentioned it, I want to because you mentioned Daniel Rudd, I want to kind of read this um, snippet from the history and vision that you have listed um, on you website. I love this part where you said much of the Catholic media landscape either leans traditional, often taking on a certain unhealthy posture towards the Pope, the Vatican and Vatican II, or cafeteria list, taking on a different but equally unhealthy posture towards the same the Black Catholic Messenger, in rejecting two extremes, seeks to affirm Catholicism while remaining free to report the news as it is. Um, wow, I just feel like if if all Catholic media in general kind of chose to reject those two extremes, um, what a, what a different landscape! Um, what a different landscape it would be. I feel like it would be a lot more maybe gospel aligned in a lot of respects. Mm. And I did you like coin this word, cafeteria list? Or is that a real word? You
1: know, it, 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 well, it's a real word now. <laughs> I don't oh, know. If I was going to say, up.
0: I'm <laughs> going to start using it. It's so good. I, I'm like, I read it and I like highlighted. it. I was like, oh my gosh. Yep. This is what it is. This is what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't remember if I made it up, but uh, it works, right?
0: And yeah, I mean, you know exactly what you're talking about in that, because it is the actual ant- antithesis. It is the other side of being a traditionalist model. Um, and both of them, you know, have have some pitfalls that we, like, we need to be careful of. So um, when I have folks on, um, one of the things that, that Universal Voices is trying to accomplish is just kind of reflecting the universality of the church um, and spotlighting the fact that there are so many people in the church that are day in and day out in in faithful ways um, just bringing such brilliance and individuality to our faith and making it just this whole thing that um, represents just the vastness of God's, um, design of his creativity of his love for us. And so one of the Mm -hmm. things uh, that I try to do is really just, um, showcase spotlight. I hate to say amplify because I feel like, um, these folks are already amplified in the places and the spaces that they're working. Like they are amplified to their people, right? Like their, their families, their, the their, the, parish members that they're around or their communities, like they, those folks know who these people are. But I do think that it's so, it's such a gift to be able for me to say, look at these folks. I would love for more people uh, who, who may or may not never get to to hear their wisdom, be able to hear it in this space. And I think that what each of these folks has a heart for really lends itself um, to allow the rest of us to learn and grow from their experience and their wisdom. And that's why I'm like, okay, you guys just come in and talk about what you specifically have a heart for. And so when I asked Mm -hmm. you, you said, I have a heart for black history. And so, yeah. And so I wanted to just start with out of all the things that you have a heart for, right? Because we are um, layered individuals, we are nuanced individuals. We have a lot that makes us us. Why, out of everything that you could have chosen, did you choose? I have a heart for Black history.
1: Well, there, there's multiple, multiple aspects to that. Uh, you know, as an African American descended from people who were brought here as slaves in the united states to the united states there there's a certain hiddenness and inaccessibility to my own community's history and to specifically my 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 history within my own family it's like there's certain things that are either very hard to know or that we just can't know because it's it's been erased it was not preserved for us because of that experience that our ancestors had and so you know, fighting for that history, what what parts of it can be recovered is so important, and it's something that I've been involved in uh, personally um, for basically all of my adult life. Just being curious, as I mentioned earlier, as a journalist, it was like I had so many questions about my own family, my own background, my own people that I just had to get answers to. It was just it was in me. I needed to know, and so as that expanded to like what this, this community as exists at large in this country, I would just became fascinated with, um, with the story of black people in the United States and also around the world. The other angle of it is that when I became a Catholic, I learned that the first black people who came here to the United States or what would become the United States, um, the first black people were black Catholics. And so as I, became more involved with um catholic history i learned like you know this is a this is the story of america this is integral to the story of my people even if they don't know it and many of them don't um yeah so yeah that's, that's the other angle
0: it you know it just um just it just crushes me that that is the truth is that some like when you say some of it I can't know. Some of it was lost, especially you know, just thinking of it as as we do as Catholics when we think about how much of our faith is uh, that rests on tradition, right? Rests on what was passed down, and how important it is to us as people of faith that we um, that we retain what has been passed down, that we care for Mm -hmm. it, that we honor it. Um, and that we recognize that without what came before, we are not who we are now. And just this idea that the way that our country came to be, um, totally stripped and denied that. Um, it's just, to me, it's mind boggling, um, that that is, that that is something that is, your experience right and the experience of so many so How, how does how does this how does you having a heart for black history show up um in your in your catholicism like how are the two intertwined
1: well um it was part of what convinced me that I should give Catholicism a chance because when I had stopped attending Protestant churches, uh, I was actually considering becoming Eastern Orthodox. That was the first, I'll call it apostolic church, uh, tradition that I was exposed to or that I was became open to. So I strongly was considering becoming Orthodox, but, um, At a certain level, it felt like if I did become Orthodox, I had to sort of abandon my culture as far as it concerned my religion. And that was a feeling I didn't like because, and quite frankly, for several years before that, I had kind of voluntarily abandoned the Black Christian tradition. And I did not attend those kinds of churches for so long, but at least it was there. If I wanted to return to that, it was there. and as an in my late twenties, I was thinking, you know, if I'm going to make this major religious decision, I'll probably want to feel like my culture is at home in this new church that I join. And that was when I discovered that Catholicism also has this Black tradition in the United States, in my in my uh, in my context. And so I was like, wow, this is black history is Catholic history as, as one scholar has put it. And so I'm thinking, wow, this is, um, this is something I could, this is a church I could be a part of and feel at home and feel myself. And as, as servant of God Bowman said, come to this church fully functioning. And so that was where this passion kind of grew to what it is now, where I'm like, when I say that I'm passionate about black Catholic history, I don't separate that from being passionate about black history because again, like that's where black history started in the United States, at least was with the tradition of, of black Catholics. And so now that I'm practicing that faith tradition myself, I don't hesitate to call these people, my ancestors, and they inspire me now to, to push forward as many, many, so many black Catholics leave the church, um, for various other traditions, I think to myself, you know, my my ancestors fought to survive within this church, and that it sustained them. And so I think now, um, yeah, I can stay. I can fight. I can. I oh, can sacrifice. Please,
0: do. please, do. <laughs> please do. can can you tell? Can you speak a little bit more about that? Um, can you speak a little bit more about Black Catholic history being Black history? Can you speak a little bit more about, um, like how you came to find that? And man, I just feel like it—it it would be so important. It is so important for all of us to to know that because I don't think that that's something I like. This is the first time I've ever heard that. So, um. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about
1: that? Absolutely. Uh, so there was the first book I read on this topic was called The History of Black Catholics in the United States, written by Father Cyprian Davis, who was a Benedictine monk at St. Minerad's Arch Abbey in Indiana, actually like an hour from where I grew up. But I had no idea. Whoa. <laughs> he wrote that. I think he published that book the year before I was born, which is crazy to think about. But um, yeah, I read that book in 2019 when I was first thinking, you know, I could, when I was thinking I wanted to become Orthodox, but when I was starting to consider Catholicism, I read that book and he starts out by describing these people in the 1500s, Black people, um, specifically a guy named uh, Esteban or Estebanico or Stephen, however one renders his name. He was a an enslaved Black Catholic who came to the United States, I believe, in fifteen twenty-eight or fifteen twenty-seven or something like that. Um, and I'm thinking, like, this is two hundred years before, two hundred fifty years before the United States even existed. You're telling me there was a Black Catholic here in in what will become the United States? And, and so he was a black was,
0: yes. ca- he, like so he was a he was already a Black Catholic.
1: Yes, he was a uh, subject of the Spanish Empire, so he was owned by. Uh, a Spanish colonist coming to the new world to explore. And he was, they don't know where he was from in Africa, but they knew he was black and they know he was almost certainly Catholic. Um, Yeah. I think he's universally regarded as such probably had formerly been Muslim, but after um, came under the Spanish empire, converted to Catholicism. And this is the first, I believe, the first known uh, black explorer to come to the United States and so I'm reading this and, th- and it's reshaping my whole understanding of what Black history is, what American history is yeah. of the people in this land. And I'm like, how did I never know about this? And not long after that, I learned that the uh, the National Museum, Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture here in Washington, D.C., doesn't mention this, this history at all. It, it starts basically with British colonialism. It doesn't mention the Black Catholics who came and were part of Spanish colonies in the 250, uh, well, in this case, probably 75 or so years before anyone came to Jamestown, for example. It doesn't talk about that Black history. It doesn't talk about the oldest Black fort, the oldest Black city in what would become the United States Fort Mose Mose in St. Augustine, Florida. These things are not mentioned in that museum as far as I know to this day. And so... That's an example of Black history being hidden, and specifically Black Catholic history. Black Catholic history being hidden. And as I learned this, I was like, "Wow, this this Black Black history is Catholic history." That's that's when the things like that came alive for me.
0: This is okay. So I just need a I need to pause for what? Okay, I I went to college to get my degree in education, and at that point. You always had to specialize in something, and I specialized in history. So it might just be me in my background and love of history totally geeking out over what you just said. Um, But I don't think so. I, I I think that most people would be floored to learn something that they thought they knew, like you know, like you think you know because. This is what you're told. And then mm-hmm. somebody else comes along and is like, well, yeah, but did you know? And you're like, wait, wait, w- no, 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 I didn't know. I was only told what I was told. And then mm-hmm. that allows this whole new world and perspective to open up. And it gives you just a, just a much more full version of how you came to be Um, Yes. And that is really integral for living just a a full life. And, um, man, this must be so, is this exciting, like I'm excited listening to you. Is this, was this just an exciting time to start kind of pulling a thread that I imagine just started to pull other threads and open other doors?
1: You would not believe. I would say 2019 was the most thrilling year of of my life for that reason. I was, it was like the whole world was opening up. Like, how did I not know this? And now that I do know this, how can I not, uh, how does it not change everything? And obviously for me, it did because I, yeah. you know, adopted a new, a new faith tradition and now I'm studying to become a priest. So, I mean, it, it changed the trajectory of my life.
0: Holy, Okay. So... You are a seminarian, like where, so what seminary, how, how did that, I probably could talk to you for four days, so what, (laughs) so what, so how did that process go, um, deciding to become a seminarian?
1: Well, thankfully, when I was in San Francisco, deciding to become Catholic, I was, uh, I had several friends who have been Catholics for, you know, many moons, but uh, who were considering becoming priests. And so that possibility was always on the radar for me. Uh, It was not like, oh, well, I've never met a seminarian or someone who wants to be a seminarian. I had met so many, and it was kind of just part of our young adult community was that, you know, a few of us were thinking about it. And so I attended some discernment meetings there. I want to say I attended some even before I had been confirmed as a Catholic, but don't quote me on that, but it's possible. So, again, it was really on my radar. Um, but I wasn't serious about it until I moved to new Orleans in early 2020, right before the pandemic broke out. Um, and it was there in new Orleans that I actually met, um, members of a community that serve African-Americans as priests, uh, the, called the Josephites. They've been working in the United States for more than 125 years serving African-Americans. And when I met some of their priests, um, my discernment became more serious because you know that that possibility was then right there in front of my face not just to become a priest but to become a priest in this community that i'm so dedicated to which is you know part of who i am and yeah i kind of had a mystical experience around february 2020 and i was like okay well i need to apply to the josephites and so i did and roughly a year later a little under a year later i was accepted and yeah i've been in formation ever since but yeah it was always from the moment basically from the moment i decided i was going to become catholic the possibility of being a priest was there and i had no no known impediments so i was like you know why not dedicate my life to this
0: this is so this is so wild because I don't think that a lot of people understand, maybe maybe they just like are willful, willfully, like it not ignorant, but just willfully don't want to engage in this conversation of representation and what it feels like to, to see yourself show up in places that you admire or respect or are led from or are led by. When Hmm. you can relate in such a way where you feel like, oh, I belong here. It is such a powerful thing, right? I feel like in the last couple of years, I've really just been looking thoughtfully at these, you know, Latino saints because Hmm. they give me, you know, all the saints give me something to strive for, but there's just something different about seeing yourself in that kind of holiness in that kind of path um is that is that what you found being able to to find a community that was specifically um and that's a long time to be serving the black catholic community so it's not like this was anybody's first rodeo is that a little bit of what you experienced finding this community
1: I would say so, yeah. And it was kind of certainly one of the later layers of the onion that I was peeling back, because when I was a Protestant, I didn't even really understand that there were Black Catholics at all. Where I grew up, I don't think I knew any, maybe one or two. So I just assumed that Catholicism was a white religion, and so many African Americans assumed the same. And so As I converted, gradually, I was meeting more African-American Catholics, meeting African-American priests. When I moved to New Orleans, I met African-American nuns for the first time. And so, yeah, seeing yourself in this, in the church, in vocations, various vocations, it was like it opened up. It opened things up for me, Uh, showed me not just what the Catholic Church is, but ultimately like more of what the world is and what Christianity is broadly. And it was essential. And I was, I was like ashamed that I had gone so, so long in my life, not thinking about these things and not seeing myself or trying to even see myself in these other traditions that I wasn't a part of. But, you know, once I was in it, I was, I was digging. I was like, where are these people at?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Yeah. That's exactly what happened to me around the same time. I was like, um, I was a little salty. I mean, really at that mm -hmm. point, like why Why do I not when I found um, different Catholics of color, I I I I was just a little salty that uh, it took Instagram (laughs) Mm -hmm. for me, you know, outside of like just my family circle and my parish, my my parish in Austin, Texas is pretty diverse, but just kind of this better reflection of how universal we are um, Mm -hmm. in America. You know, not just globally. Of course, I've always been told. You know, we're a global church. It's you can go to mass anywhere in any language. But I, I was really upset that that I didn't feel. You know, me. First of all, that media really represented um, any of that richness of diversity, um, and not just culturally, because that's you know that is absolutely really apparent but just uh experiences that people have the kind of wisdom that we're learning from it really felt just kind of monolithic and at first I got mad and then I got okay okay I'm mad and much like you I was just like you just need to dig and you need to there people are there and you just need to you just need to search it out and you need to create kind of a an experience for yourself that is is broader than than the one that you've known for all of these years, um, and it has brought such a richness to my faith. It hasn't detracted in any way whatsoever. Um, it's added. So, so yeah. What what do your parents think about all this? Because this might have been like a kind of a shift I took. It, it,
1: it was a it was a shift but there's another layer here uh, and this this will be funny because as I was deciding to become Catholic I learned that um, my mom's parents her biological parents and I believe her grandparents as well were Catholic I I and I had no idea I was 28 years old and did not know at all because my mom was adopted oh. and She was adopted as a very young child. And so she only met her parents later in life and didn't know them very well. And so that was not a part of my, it was not part of my understanding growing up. I was not raised around them. I never met my maternal grandparents at all. And so this is, this was a part of my family history. And I think for that reason, it was easier for my mom to accept when I said I was going to become Catholic. Um because in a way I was returning to her family's tradition, uh, even though she was raised and remains a Protestant. And so for my dad, it was uh, not so much because of that, but I think just because he understood, he believes in the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of not just Protestants, but all Christians. He said, you know, if this is what God is leading you to do, then you have to respond affirmatively. And so I was really blessed to have both my parents really Really understand that um, this is where God was calling me, and I had to, I had to go with it. And again, it was it was also cool to reconnect with a family tradition of my own that I didn't know about until right then and there.
0: I mean, God has really written an outstanding story for you. This, it just, I mean, it all feels very ordained in a way um, mm-hmm. that all of Amen. these little, like all these seemingly separate pieces have come together in such a way and as a as a parent of kids that are growing older and older our our oldest just turned 18 this week I I really admire that kind of support from your parents that kind of like both in like uh personal faith of their own and just also just their, the love of you and the trust of you that it, that is such a model of the way that we respond to our kids kind of growing up and, 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 and being them, you know, um, really kind of entrusting you to what Jesus has for you. um, Even if that Mm -hmm. means, you know, something that's different than what they are used to. So, you must have like the best, most incredible parents. Was was were there any like when you decided to enter into potentially being a priest? Was that was that a little bit of of a rougher like uh, go of it, or were they? It was it kind of the same.
1: I think they they saw it coming. I think that's what my mom told me. <laughs> So when, they, uh, when no, I told them I was no. going to be Catholic, they were like, oh, yeah, he's probably going to become a priest.
0: <laughs> wow. Um, wow. So so you're in Louisiana right now still? Or normally? I'm actually
1: in Washington, Washington, D.C. now. That's where the seminary is located. Oh, OK. And
0: so and so that's where you'll be. And so, like, let's just say you do end up getting ordained a priest. You just start through the whole process and you're like, OK, this is where Jesus has me. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess you won't be like a diocesan priest.
1: No, so I could end up serving in any number of places if I do attain to that to that um, outcome. We have parishes in the deep across the deep South, some here in D.C., Virginia, and Baltimore, and also in Los Angeles.
0: What are the, what what are the parts of your? Uh, I have some of my best friends in the whole wide world are priests. So, um, mm. I, I have no, um, I always tell them that it's my job to keep them normal. Um, because that's just, a, it's a whole, it's a whole different world to be a, a, a priest these days. And, um, are there things about the priesthood that you think that your gifts um, particularly, kind of aligned to, like, are there, you know, is it homiletics? Is it pastoral care? Like, what sorts of things are you excited about?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think there probably are some aspects of the priesthood that I'm particularly disposed to. Um, I would think the first thing that comes to mind is celibacy. Is, and I say that because I was not in the world of romance for like 15 years before I decided to enter the seminary. And so it was something I had no issue with just, you know, in that regard, dedicating my whole life to God, dedicating all of my energy to, to the ministry that I'm a part of. um, You know, that's, that's one, one aspect of the priesthood that I think is really beautiful. I know that lots of people think that this should be, You know, abolished entirely. I'm not in that camp, Um, and I think that for me personally, yeah, being able to dedicate my life fully to that is, is beautiful, and it's something that I think I, God's given me the personality and ability to, to, to do, and I'm blessed in that regard. Um, And I'm also of the opinion that priests can do a lot of different things. You know, not every priest is in a parish um, as a pastor, and So I think that what I'm doing now as a journalist is just as much a gift for the priesthood as, you know, if I were a good preacher. And I don't know if I am. (laughs) Hopefully I will be someday.
0: I can't Um, imagine you wouldn't be because your writing is really, I mean, that usually translates, not always. Not always.
1: And who knows what (laughs) it does for me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that so okay so we have a few more minutes let's talk a little bit about black catholic messenger as as we close mm-hmm. because i do think that it's a really um it's really unique i mean it's a non um and you co-founded it so and mm-hmm. you have just like a massive list of writers and so how kind of how did how did it Come to be beyond kind of like I know that you said you know this is a space that isn't there, so I'll do it. Um, how did how practically speaking, kind of like how did it come to be? Who is your co-founder, and how do you? I mean, where do you find your writers? Um, how do you keep up with the ball? Bo- I really cannot imagine how what it takes to get what you do to my inbox every day. It is substantial. So like, little, <laughs> I mean, I, and and that's that I'm, you know, um, now doing from here has, you know, there's the podcast, there's a newsletter we put out, there's a Catholic social teaching publication that we do. And that takes like Every ounce of so, I can't imagine, and these things are kind of spread out. So, like, I can't mm-hmm. imagine what it takes. So, talk a little bit about like the nuts and bolts of this of this um, nonprofit.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, praise be to God. Technology makes it so it's not as difficult as it looks, uh, and I certainly do not do it alone, and I never have. Uh, I would not. I would not be a, a truthful if I would say that it started out as me saying, Hey, I'll do it. It was more so me like, you know, desperately looking around to see who else would be interested because I honestly had no idea where to even start. And so there were so many people who, who stepped up and said, not only, yes, I'm interested, but also said, here's what I can do. Here's some suggestions for how you can get it started. What platforms to use all those kinds of things. Um, and so, um, co-founders include, um, Alessandra Harris, who's a novelist, yes. uh, Professor Williams, who's a actress and novelist. Um, also Gunnar Gunderson, uh, Stephen Staten, these folks all were part of this group that said, you know, we want this to become all that it can be. And so again, yes, I cannot say I did any of this alone, not by any means. As you, as you said, we have many writers, um, Constantly looking for more. You know, you said our list is massive, but to me, I feel like, oh my God, we need, we need so many more writers, um, because I think Black Catholics in this country have a lot to say. I think sometimes they are given the impression that their voices don't matter, and like anytime I can, I tell them, you know, you got to speak. What you, what you have to say is what the church needs right now, and yeah. so. So, yeah, that's that's the warp and wolf of Black Catholic Messenger is Black Catholics who, who have something to say and, you know, are willing to to la- let me edit it. That's yeah. that's the criteria. Yeah, it's I very...
0: love it. And I just <laughs> it, it is so needed. And I think one of the things that I love, there's lots of things that I love about it. But I think one of the things I love so much is that. I think in the rush to kind of like jump on the bandwagon of 2020 and kind of this racial reckoning that happened, um, I mm. think a lot of Catholic spaces tokenized folks. Right? It was like I need a black Catholic to write something, or I need you know a brown Catholic, and um, or I need an Asian Catholic to say what they want in you know in this very like limited space. Um, Mm -hmm. That's like just not what you're going to find. I I love spaces that fully and authentically look at the dignity and the wisdom and the faith that already exists within uh, Catholics all across the country and all across the world. And I think that y'all do a really good job of just being like, this is who we are, like, like Thea Bowman said like this is who we are, and we bring such goodness and vibrancy and all of these wonderful things, just as we are, and we have so much to say, and we're going to share it with you, and you're gonna and you're gonna grow from it. Um, and so you guys are just, you guys are all doing, you're you're crushing it, all of you. Um, and in, because it's a nonprofit, and and that was really important. For me as well, when I started from here, um, like I didn't want to become like a like a salesperson. I wanted to be mm-hmm. invitational to a mission, um, and so, but but that said, nonprofits literally exist on the support of other human beings. So, what does it look like to come along and support y'all's work?
1: Yeah, so. The way people have chosen to, to ally with us financially um, is both through subscriptions, which are available on our website, and also through donations, which we, we uh, you know, the link is also on our website, com slash donate. But, um, yeah, people have, uh, you know, they give one-time donations. They may subscribe on an annual basis. They may donate on an annual basis or monthly Um and we're grateful for every penny we receive. Cause as you said, without them, we couldn't do what we do. Thankfully, uh, we don't have a lot of overhead. Um, and you know, that's sort of a longer story, but I think that's one reason why the black Catholic media didn't last very long when it was founded 125 ish years ago was cause it was an expensive, very cost intensive thing to do. Um, and economic downturns kind of, you know, wiped it out, but now thanks be to God. Um, it's not like that anymore. It doesn't cost a lot of money to, you know, host a website and and post content. And we're we're online only. So so yeah, people's people's contributions uh, help us maintain that, and also help to compensate our writers. And that's that's what keeps us going. And people have been so generous; it's incredible. Oh,
0: I love it so much. Okay, so Nate, thank you so much for taking time to. Come on and share your wisdom with us. We are going to be praying for you and black, all everything that has to do with Black Catholic Messenger and your vocation. Um, that you know that you're able to discern this and to really. Um, it sounds like you're just really plugged into the Holy Spirit, and you're like, okay, well, the Holy Spirit's showing up in all these spaces, and I'm uh, I'm gonna open myself to to be guided. Um, but we'll continue to pray for you in, in those places and um i probably like the next time we do a mini series we'll reach out to you just so we can get an update on all of (laughs) all of this because i feel like we just barely scrap uh, scratched the surface and everything um that you are able to kind of share and teach uh teach the rest of uh of the laity and even and even just a lot of priests out there that are that have been in the in the in the game for a while, um, it's always good mm. to kind of listen to to a fresh voice and to somebody who's really, really dialed into kind of what the um, what the laity needs right now. And I think there are so, like you said, there are so many that are that are leaving, um, and part of it is because we a lot of people didn't feel like they were represented, or that they were wanted, or that they belonged. And the more people know about places like this, the more they're going to be able to find their spot and hold on. Amen. Okay, so thank you, and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Universal Voices Podcast is an offering of From Here Media, a nonprofit whose mission is to encourage the love of God, neighbor, and self through print, online, and in-person offerings. This episode was made possible by our incredible From Here supporters. To find out more about From Here's mission and vision, or to join these incredible people in supporting us financially, head to FromHereMedia.org. See you next time.